The severed head had been hung from a tree, its lifeless eyes staring out at the main lane of the Bachki market, like the goat carcasses strung up in the local meat shops. Fear spawns its own tortured vocabulary. Like so many condemned to live in crucibles of terror, the widow of frontier constabulary soldier Rahman Zaman called his killers na-malum afraad, unidentified individuals. The killers themselves proudly filmed their act. The savage execution was released on social media as a warning for those who serve an infidel state fighting the army of God. Last week, following the suicide bombing of a mosque in Peshawar, which killed more than 100 people, uniformed police officers summoned the courage to march through the streets with a defiant slogan. Ye jo na malum hai, wo humko malum hai. We know who these nameless people are. Like the killing of Constable Rahman in December, as well as dozens of attacks on civilians, the bombing is believed to have been carried out by the Jamaatul Ahrar, one of dozens of loosely allied jihadist groups that together make up what's called the Tehreek-e-Taliban, which is fighting to carve out a Sharia-governed state from Pakistan's northwest. The great historian A.J.P. Taylor once observed of the German revolutions of 1848, History reached its turning point but failed to turn. The Pakistan army has vowed to crush terrorism after this Peshawar bombing, but we've heard words like these many times before. Local residents have long been demanding that the government act against the jihadists. Fearing civil war though, the government has chosen to seek deals with the jihadists instead. Ever since the Taliban took power in Kabul, jihadist violence across Pakistan has exploded. Facing an unprecedented financial crisis, the country just doesn't have the will or the resources to fight back. And that raises the real prospect of a jihadist triumph with repercussions across the region. Led, so legend has it, by a legion of jinns impervious to bullets, the armies of the cleric Haji Fazal Wahid of Turangzai laid siege to frontier constabulary outposts across Mohmand in 1927. Even though imperial power eventually prevailed, the rebellion exposed British power in the Northwest as something of an illusion. The authority of the mullahs has developed from a religious to an authoritarian one, the colonial bureaucrat Khan Bahadur Kuli Khan glumly observed. They can coerce any Mohammed as if they were rulers. The suicide bomber who blew himself up at the police lines in Peshawar was the inheritor of that tradition of jihad, almost a century old. Eight decades after the rebellion was extinguished by British bombs, a convoy of four-wheel drives packed with men cradling assault rifles pulled up at Haji Fazal's shrine. 28-year-old amateur poet Abdul Wali, later to figure on global terror watch lists as Omar Khalid Khorasani with a price of $3 million on his head, declared himself the inheritor of the cleric's jihad. The massacre of 132 schoolchildren in Peshawar in 2014, the killing of 74 patients in a suicide attack on a hospital in Quetta, the massacre of 72 at Karachi's Gulshan Iqbal Park. Even by the standards of the Tehreek-e-Taliban, Wali proved to have an exceptional talent for violence. Educated at the village seminary in Khandaro, in Khyber Pakhtunkhwa's Momand, former police officer Farhan Zahid writes, Abdul Wali travelled to Karachi to serve in the Harkat ul-Mujahideen 
as a teenager. The organization in which a generation of South Indian jihadists was incubated was set up under the patronage of the Inter-Services Intelligence Directorate with its cadre fighting in Kashmir and Afghanistan. Later, Abdul Wali served with the Taliban in Afghanistan and we know he spent some time at an Al-Qaeda training camp before returning home after the collapse of the Islamic Emirate. From an interview published in the Tehreek-e-Taliban magazine Iyya-e-Khilafat eight years ago, it appears Abdul Wali was driven by an acute sense of his ideological heritage. The jihad commander claimed his grandfather had fought the British in the Third Afghan War of 1919-1920 and said his father fought the Soviet Union after 1979. Like many Taliban volunteers from Pakistan's Northwest, Abdul Wali headed home after 9-11, equipped with weapons and military training. He was determined to use them to sweep aside the traditional tribal elite and build a new Sharia-governed political order. General Parvez Musharraf, scholars Muhammad Quraysh and Fakharul Islam have shown, proved supportive of this project, hoping to recruit Islamism or political Islam to strengthen his military regime's legitimacy. Early in 2006, Abdul Wali was appointed to lead the newly formed Tehreek-e-Taliban in Mohammad. Eight years later, after a falling out with the organization's Amir, Fazal Hayat, Abdul Wali formed his own organization, the Jamaat-ul-Ehrar. The infidels' world order stands upon the foundation of terrorism, Iya e Khilafat proclaimed. Terrorism, that is to spread terror, is actually an essential element of warfare. The Jamaat-ul-Ihrar Manifesto released in 2014 promised to wage jihad until a caliphate was established in every nook and corner of the world. Language like this was not unfamiliar in Pakistan's Northwest. It had been a weapon, you see, for anti-colonial resistance. The Kafirs have taken possession of all Muslim countries, wrote the Mullah Najmuddin in 1897, exhorting the Afridi and Aurukzai tribes to jihad against the British. Fix the time and day of fighting so that by the grace of God, the work may be accomplished. The religious polemic incited rebellion in 1897 and again in 1907 and on and on. Each time, the rebels were mowed down, but the rage they fed on continued to glow. Even as imperial authorities granted generous subsidies to tribal maliks or chieftains, seeking thereby to weaken the mullahs, the clerics hit back with insurgent attacks on pro-British villages. Tribal insurgents continued to fight even after the creation of Pakistan, at one stage leading its government to order the Pakistan Air Force to prepare for, and I quote, destructive action against the villages. The communal mobilization of the pre-partition period, the campaigns against the Ahmadi minority after independence, and the anti-Soviet jihad each contributed to clerical strength and power in Pakistan's Northwest, historian Sana Haroon has observed. These would lay the foundations for the rise of new jihadist movements like the tehreek e nifaz shariat e muhammadi or Movement for the Enforcement of Islamic Law, which eventually flowered into the tehreek e taliban Efforts to secure live and let live deals with these new jihadist movements after 9-11, journalist Daud Khatak has recorded, had few results. An agreement between General Musharraf and the jihad commander Naik Muhammad Wazir disintegrated within days. Another agreement with Baitullah Masood, Abdul Wali's first patron, also fell apart. A third deal went the same way, with jihadists resiling on their promises to end violence. 
even public expressions of support for political Islam from former Prime Minister Imran Khan, who preached understanding for the arsonist, as the scholar Ehsan Butt has wryly observed, failed to bring about peace. The jihadists just weren't willing to settle for anything less than a state they ruled. Finally evicted from their strongholds after the army launched large-scale operations across Khyber Pakhtunkhwa in 2014, following the massacre of the children at the army public school, the tehreek e taliban retreated into Afghanistan. There, the historian Antonio Giustosi has recorded, leaders like Abdul Wali entered into a complex weave of relationships with other jihadist organizations, among them the newly formed Islamic State. Even though violence in Pakistan declined, the threat remained just across the border. Its military hoped the resurgent Taliban in Afghanistan would fix the problem once and for all. Last year, top jihad commander Muslim Khan, sentenced to death for a string of killings, was secretly flown out of a death row at a military prison in Pakistan into the custody of the Afghan Taliban. Imran pushed plans for the rehabilitation of the jihadists in Khyber Pakhtunkhwa as part of a deal which he hoped would cede some political power to the jihadis in return for their giving up arms. Former Inter-Services Intelligence Chief Lieutenant General Faiz Hamid succeeded in negotiating a ceasefire. But even as that ceasefire was in place, terrorists began beheadings, public executions and ambushes against the police. The country's National Counter-Terrorism Authority recently said the only thing the ceasefire achieved was allowing the Tehreek-e-Taliban to resume its recruitment and operations. Last year, Tehreek-e-Taliban units demonstrated they could stage lethal attacks outside Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, staging a suicide bombing in Islamabad. Last week, the organization attacked a police station in Punjab's Miawali and killed two intelligence officers in the town of Dera Ghazi Khan. Abdul Wali himself was killed last year in an assassination carried out by the United States. The Peshawar bombing though shows the war he unleashed is escalating again. This time, a bankrupt state might not be able to fight back and a jihadist victory in Pakistan's northwest will have far-reaching consequences. Perhaps the destabilization of the country and the empowerment of jihadist movements across our region. I'm Praveen Swami and I'm National Security Editor of The Print. Thank you for watching Security Code.